It's gonna be scary. Not for us. All engine running. Lift off. on Thompson steps right, shoots for the win of three. He got it. He got it. Same my first rodeo. Westbrook to the basket. Turns Schroeder around. Russell Westbrook. House the three and the lead. You betcha. Covington biggest shot of the game and he hits it. The corner. P.J. Tucker. what is up and welcome to another episode of locked on rockets your daily podcast home for everything houston rockets basketball part of the locked on podcast network your team every day as always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and the founder slash managing editor of ClutchCityControlRoom.com, your home for all things Houston hoops. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Gatlin, the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, and also the blog at ClutchCityCR. So for today's show, I want to take a bit of a stroll down memory lane and just highlight a few, because look, first off, Daryl Morey has had a a storied history with this Rockets franchise, right? He has been the GM for 13 years, been a part of the organization for 14, has had his hand in every little action that this uh, franchise has taken over the last, you know, 14 years, basically. And so I want to revisit some of his... I guess less splashy trades and some of the, some of the transactions that he made over these past, you know... 13, 14 years, and just give some credit to him and, and the players that he brought in and, you know, players that to me I think are some fan favorites and some trades that maybe get overlooked or don't get appreciated enough for for how, you know, how they panned out um, once the target became a member of the Houston Rockets. But before I get there, I do want to talk about really quickly just the fact that everything around one, it's been a really rough week for Houston sports. I mean, Astros losing in game seven uh, was was no fun for anybody. Uh, The Texans uh, blowing it in OT, not fun. It's just it's been a rough week or two in Houston sports. And the Rockets haven't exactly made that easier by, you know, elongating the coaching search. Um, Still right now, the top three candidates are Jeff Van Gundy, uh, John Lucas, and Steven Silas. So there's been no new information dropped as to who the favorites are, although apparently James Harden and Russell Westbrook are pushing significantly for John Lucas. At least that's the report by Mark Stein. So no new news on the head coaching front. The whole GM situation with Daryl Morey is frustrating, of course, but I'm not as doom and gloom about it as I was last week. And there's a silver lining I think that's important to highlight is that the Rockets had a certain stigma. They had a certain look, a certain feel about the organization and how things were run. And it's not going to completely go away in the absence of Daryl Morey because they're still going to be a heavily analytic-focused organization. But at the same time, the name Daryl Morey, you connect that with the analytics movement, and you also connect Morey and Morey Ball to a style of basketball that the Rockets have played for a while now. And I can't for the life of me, I tried finding it because I remembered seeing this uh, or reading this anonymous player quote from a season or two ago, and I tried digging it up. 
um, but was unsuccessful. But I swear it exists. And there was a player anonymously, anonymously talking about the Houston Rockets and why he didn't want to sign there. And it was because he knew that if he signed there, that he had a really solid chance of being traded at you know at the next available opportunity at the trade deadline or in the off season because Daryl Morey is cold and calculating. He's always trying to make moves, always trying to improve the roster. And in a way, I can see how that would rub players the wrong way, right? I can see how that would cause a, you know, uh, would not really generate a sense of loyalty between player and general manager. If you're going to try and sign somewhere or if you land somewhere, you know, why would you re-up if you're going to get traded? The most recent occurrence of this was him telling Chris Paul to his face, I'm not trading you. And then trading him for Russell Westbrook. Now, again, we all know that the Russell Westbrook trade was definitely not a Daryl Morey trade. That that was a trade that was being explored exclusively because James probably requested it at the forefront. And then on the tail end of it, as Daryl Morey and front and the front office crew were getting cold feet and didn't really want to pursue the trade any further, that's when Tillman Fertitta jumped in and pulled the trigger to make it happen. So that was not a Daryl Morey type trade, but nonetheless, it didn't exactly help his reputation as a wheeling and dealing GM who is ready to drop anybody and everybody not named James Harden in order to improve the roster. And, you know, again, telling your second best player, Chris Paul, I'm not going to trade you. And then doing just the exact opposite doesn't exactly look great just on surface level. And again, it's not a Daryl Morey move, but other players may, probably don't see it that way. So, again, I think the the, the franchise gets kind of a, a rebranding of sorts by moving on from Daryl Morey. It's not exactly a great thing. Um, but not everything that Daryl Morey's done in his tenure has been phenomenal. I'm not going to come in here because I do, I want to focus on the good stuff in a minute, but not everything has been great. You know, it's not been a, a total cakewalk. It's not been a walk in the park. There have been some busts here and there. There have been some missed opportunities with young players, and that goes hand in hand with not having the right coaching staff in place to develop young players and instill trust in them to think, okay, well, we need to really, you know, actually spend some time developing this guy, see what he's got before we wave him, before we cut him. There have been mistakes made. Look, they had Robert Covington, right? They had the Morai twins. They've had they've had good, solid players that have you know, produced elsewhere that they've then had to go back and trade assets for. The fact that Robert Covington was a Houston Rocket and then was waived by the Rockets and now, you know, six years down the line, because he was, I think it was back in 2014 or something. And yeah, he's not the same player that he was back in, you know, he, he uh, he's not the same player that he was in 2014 that he is right now. But the 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 potential had to have been there. And the fact that it wasn't spotted by the organization and that he was let go and then he went on and, you know, produced elsewhere. And then the Rockets had to turn around and give up their starting center that they did develop here in Houston in Clint Capella to be able to acquire him kind of sucks. Like, you know, not being able to spot that talent, not being able to retain it early on and instead having to go out and then pay big money for it is is a tough situation. And you can look at some of the other things that have gone all you know gone along across the years the the Johnny Flynn trade uh, the uh, the Hashim the Beat trade oh god um, Hashim the Beat in a Rockets jersey gives me a little bit of PTSD but legitimately you know it hasn't been all perfect with Daryl Morey and it but it's also been 
largely really, really great. He's made a lot of moves that have improved the organization. He's had a lot of really excellent signings and put together one of the greatest Rockets teams in history, in the history of the franchise, the 17-18 year. And I will forever be appreciative of that, being able to have taken part in in covering that team and talking about that team, experiencing that team. Because at the end of the day, when only one team out of 30 gets a chance at the title, right? Or not a chance at the title, I should say. When only one team out of 30 wins the title, right? Subscribing to the whole championship or bust uh, mantra is exhausting. And you're able to just appreciate good basketball. You're able to appreciate the regular season. You're able to appreciate, you know, playoff wins and series wins and things like that. It doesn't have to just be championship or bust. You know, the people with that mentality of championship or bust, I don't know how you make it through the regular season or how you make it through the early rounds of the playoffs, because if, if it's championship or bust, then none of that matters until you get to the finals. And even then you're still facing another really damn good team in the finals and the chips may not fall your way. So to me, I still try to find joy and try to appreciate everything that the Rockets organization does throughout the entirety of the season, right? And appreciating all the stuff that goes on outside of the basketball court, the memes, the jokes, the social media shenanigans, all of it. It's incredible. It's all one gigantic, amazing package that we get to take part in and enjoy as sports fans. So coming up in just a moment, I want to talk about some of the uh, lesser recognized trades from Daryl Morey's tenure, some of the you know signings and whatnot, uh, and then I also have a, a a couple voicemails to hit on in the final segment uh, from the call in line. So if you want to check that out, if you want to call in, you can do that seven one three four eight seven fifty four fifty seven. But really quickly, want to drop in a quick word from our friends over at RockAuto.com. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, which doesn't really seem fair, right? RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and they're always reliably low. They always offer the lowest possible prices, rather than changing their prices around based on what the market will bear, kind of like what airlines do. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even brand new carpet. So whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. So go to rockauto.com right now to see all the parts available for your car or truck. And be sure, this is the super important part, be sure to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. And we're back here at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Getting ready to take a bit of a stroll down memory lane and look at just a handful of trades and signings by Daryl Morey that I think at the time, you know, again, not splashy and even historically not splashy, but signings and trades that really impacted this Rockets organization um, a great deal. And the very first of which that I want to bring up is uh, none other than the ice cream man himself, Luis Scola. So the Rockets traded for Scola July 12, 2007, and they traded V-SPAN, another kind of jokingly Rockets favorite. The, basically, V-SPAN, the Sergio Lowell before, before Sergio Lowell, at least, but at least, at least we got V-SPAN for a little bit in a Rockets jersey. Lowell is just, I've given up on that, that, that train has uh, left the station. But anyways, Sir uh, Vasily Spanoulis and a 2001, a 2009 second round draft pick for Luis Scola, who immediately became a fan favorite. 
um, was so impactful, you know, in those, the, the tail end of that T-Mac Yao era, um, was a big part of why the Rockets were able to take the eventual champion Lakers to seven games, uh, not the following season, but the the year after that, where uh, regrettably Trace McGrady went down early in the season, and then Yao Ming went down in game three of that uh, playoff series against the Lakers, the, the second round series against the eventual champion Lakers. But Luis Scola was a great player. And at the time, right, he kind of uh, you look at you look at Luis Scola, the player now, and you'd imagine that if he was playing now, if he was you know ten years younger, he'd absolutely stretch his shot all the way out to the three point line. Um, but you know, at the time, he was a mid range machine. Uh, you know, kind of went against the analytics that uh, you know Daryl Morey was probably slowly trying to uh, build into the Rockets organization. Uh, you know, they hadn't quite taken that dive into you know exclusively you know threes, layups, dunks, and free throws. And but Louis Scola was a great player. It was a great part of this organization for you know a handful of years, and I think that that was one of the early trades uh, of Maury's career that really showed okay he's able to find talent that nobody else is willing to use. And the fact that he finessed a player like Louis Scola from the Spurs of all people is so impressive because the Spurs have historically been phenomenal at recognizing talent, especially European talent. And the fact that they didn't pull in Luis Scola from overseas, I mean, could you imagine have imagined those uh, late 2000 Spurs teams if they had added Luis Scola off the bench behind Tim Duncan? Like, my goodness, it would have been ridiculous. So, and another Rocket who was a big part of that series against the LA Lakers, uh, back when the Rockets attempted to build their own big three of sorts, uh, none other than Panda Friend, uh, Meta World Peace, or at the time, we'll go with his, uh, his Rockets name, Ron Artest. So Ron Artest was a huge get. You know, uh, this, the Kings traded over Patrick Ewing, not that one, Patrick Ewing Jr., uh, Sean Singletary, and uh, Ron Artest alongside uh, for, I apologize, for uh, Dante Green, Bobby Jackson, and uh, a 2009 first-round draft pick, which uh, Omri Caspi, future Houston Rocket, was later selected. So... Ron Artest was a huge, a huge player for this organization. It was just one year, but he, that was the attempted big three for the Houston Rockets back in the day was Tracy McGrady, Yao Ming, and Ron Artest. And that team, I remember going into that, that year being so excited for that team and what they were going to be able to accomplish because just the year prior was when the Boston Celtics had pieced together their big three. And so I remember thinking, oh my God, yeah, the Rockets have a big three to go up against the Celtics. You know, Yao and KG, Paul Pierce and and Ron Artest, uh, and then Tracy McGrady, Ray Allen. Like, it was going to be incredible, right? It was so exciting. And, you know, unfortunately, it didn't pan out that way. T-Mac, again, injuries, you know, that derailed him his entire career. Um, you know, kind of tore apart that season. But Ron Artest continued to be a big part of that team. You know, I, the starting Ron Artest and Shane Battier alongside each other, you know, Ron Artest in today's NBA would be the ideal uh, stretch four. You know, big and strong, able to guard bigger players. He's basically P.J. Tucker on steroids, I think. You know, I, I think Ron Artest is basically what P.J. Tucker almost aspires to be. You know, a guy who can guard positions one through five, you know, three and D, um, but he had a bit more of an offensive repertoire to him. Um, never looked super comfortable dribbling towards the rim, but still somehow got it done you know, on the rare occasion, at least a bit more comfortable than P.J. Tucker looks uh, attacking the basket. Uh, and here's the next one that I've got for us is actually 
uh, Corey Brewer. You know that, and that's that might not be you know a, again, it's not a splashy name, but Corey Brewer was a contributing member of this team for you know a couple seasons, you know, a handful of years, and he also became a part of the reason that the Rockets were able to get. Lou Williams down the line trading for Lou Williams and then obviously packaging Lou Williams, Pat Bev and Montrez Harrell and, you know, Sam Decker, that package uh, plus like the, you know, 17 million non-guaranteed contracts to package all of that for Chris Paul. But Corey Brewer was a great rocket and he was part of that Rockets comeback. That's so, uh, you know, that we, that we love to reminisce about the three, one comeback against the Clippers against Chris Paul's Clippers. And he also look, Corey Brewer blessed us with one of the greatest quotes in all of basketball history and it was said to Mike D'Antoni but Brewer he basically right he 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 drove from the baseline spun shook two guys with like a 360 spin and missed a point blank shot at the rim and he goes and tells coach Mike D'Antoni coach I did my thing but then I got to the rim and just ran out of talent and MDA comes back and says, ran out of talent, best line in the history of basketball. To me, that is a, a just a beautiful line. And I've used it uh, liberally since then uh, because it, it is so, it's, just, it's just a funny line to think about. Ran out of talent, 10 out of 10 line. But Corey Brewer was another one that I just wanted to give a shout out to, you know, kind of, again, finding these players who are able to be contributors, who, who match what the Rockets want to do, who have... Uh, been good accessories, you know, alongside James Harden in the James Harden era. And this next guy is going to be a bit interesting, but it, the Nene signing, like legitimately, it was such a great steal. You know, yes, he was at the tail end of his career, but I think that the Nene signing had a great impact on this Rockets team, um, having that kind of veteran presence in the locker room. But not only that, the Nene signing coincided with Clint Capella getting the starting nod back in 16-17 after, you know, the Rockets formally parted ways with Dwight Howard. And I think that Nene was a huge part of Clint's development, you know, getting him to the player that he he was when the Rockets ultimately traded him, you know, at the deadline this past season uh, to be able to bring in another elite wing defender in Robert Covington. But Clint Capella had a beautiful, you know, handful of years and career trajectory where he just kept getting better every single year. And I think that a lot of that, especially in the beginning, you know, starting out as a, as a you know, fresh-faced, super young center, um, you know, starting alongside James Harden, having that veteran presence in Nene, having that mentorship with him, you know, every year for a couple of years there, two, three years, in fact, um, to be able to just teach him things, you know, say, hey, this is the spot that you need to be in, read this differently next time. That absolutely had to have played a factor in in how Clint Capella, Clint Capella developed, I should say, and where, you know, how he became the player that he is today and how he developed alongside James Harden. It wasn't just Clint Capella magically learned how to catch every single lob that went near the rim, right? It took time to get to that point. And he and James Harden developed a lot of that chemistry, a lot of the same chemistry that we saw between James and Nene when they ran pick and roll together as well. So I, I think that, yes, a big chunk of it is James Harden, but some credit needs to be given to the bigs themselves who have to do the job properly, have to set the pick properly, have to roll hard to the rim, have to be in the right spot at the right time to receive the pass. Um, and I definitely think Nene played, a, played his part in teaching Clint Capella that, but not only just the teaching and vet, you know, the veteran leadership aspect, Nene was awesome. 
having you know having uh, you know grand, grandfather Nene check into the game with his graying beard and you know the the dreads flying everywhere it just I would get so hype especially when he would actually get up and dunk the ball oh just Nene dunks hit different you know back back when they were still a thing so um, definitely wanted to throw his name out there. And there are other ones that I probably haven't highlighted. Um, you know, I could point to the Josh Smith signing. I can point to the Gerald Green signing. I can point to the Jason Terry trade, um, another member of that 3-1 comeback against the Clippers. But, you know, ultimately, Daryl Morey's had a lot of signings and trades, you know, for these kind of at-the-margins guys that can improve the team that have either been looked over by other teams or, you know, haven't quite found the success uh, playing for other teams because the fact of the matter is here in Houston, uh, MDA and Daryl Morey have revived a lot of careers. The most recent one being none other than Benny Mac and Threes, Mr. Ben McLemore. You know, the fact that he made it to Houston and he finally found a system that fit exactly what he thrives at, you know, as an NBA player and... I'm looking forward to seeing what more happens next season with Ben McLemore in a Rockets jersey, but he's the most recent reclamation project for Daryl Morey, and it really worked out. I was hoping we were going to get an Anthony Bennett reclamation project as well, but uh, that one never uh, never panned out. Tendinitis uh, kind of sucks. That's something that he's dealing with, and maybe the Rockets take another look at him next season, but... Anyways, uh, coming up, we will have our, we've got a couple voicemails from some listeners, so we'll get there in just a moment after a quick message from our friends over at Built Go. Whether it's a mental or physical wall, break through it with Go every day. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. They're in these little easy to take with you one and a half ounce packages. You can toss one in your briefcase, you know, for work. You can keep it in your golf bag to power through the back nine or just keep it in your pocket just to help get you throughout the day. It's it's basically five hour energy without that same crashing feeling. Plus it's natural, so it's better for your body. It's like drinking a monster, but only with like a third of the caffeine and significantly better results. They've got three delicious flavors, peanut butter honey, chocolate coconut, chocolate mint. I'm really partial to the peanut butter honey one. I think it's incredible, and you can check it out. Just visit BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED, and you'll get 20% off your very next order. That's 20% off. So remember, use promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. All right, and final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, where we've got a couple of listener voicemails to tag. So without any further ado, let's just go ahead and dive into this very first one because it is about Daryl Morey, and so we're just going to kind of keep on topic with this one. Hi, Jackson. Uh, Colin, to talk about the Daryl Morey departure. Uh, My name is Johnny. Um, Yeah, I mean... Daryl Morey was this special combination of you always had trust in him and that he was making careful, smart, calculated decisions, and that he also took risks and did things that other people weren't willing to do to try to win. Oftentimes, you either get risk, but a level of uncertainty, and you know you can't really trust him because they're like a loose cannon, or you get safe and conservative without willing to take the swings that it takes to get a championship-level team instead of just a perennial playoff contender. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to find that again. I don't think most teams ever find that again. Uh, I'm going to miss the hell out of them. Appreciate the call, Johnny. Always nice hearing from you guys. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. You know, it's, it's okay to 
more in the loss of a of a top five, arguably top three general manager who's been um, even more so of a cornerstone to this Houston Rockets franchise than than arguably even James Harden, right? 13 years with the organization as the general manager, 14 years total, um, you know, has been through three different eras of Rockets basketball. And yes, James Harden's the franchise player, but when you think Houston Rockets, who jumps at the forefront of your mind? It's James Harden and it's Daryl Morey, right? Those are the first two names that I think of when I think Houston Rockets basketball. And no, and now Daryl Morey's no longer a part of that conversation. So it's tough. But at the same time, you know, things do things do change you know there's there's no organization that has you know a uh, a lifetime gm um you know thing things do change and hopefully uh you know daryl seems confident that he has left the rockets in good hands uh with with where the organization is headed um and he also i thought this was really classy you know he took out a, a full page ad in the houston rockets uh, or not the houston rockets newspaper Sorry, I think of the Chronicle as the Houston Rockets newspaper because, you know, Jonathan Fagan. But anyways, he took out a full-page ad in the Chronicle um, to to thank Houston and to, you know, express his gratitude for being a part of this organization, uh, you know, for being transplants but being welcomed in with open arms to Houston. And, you know, he it genuinely seems like he really cherished his time here. And I truly, truly believe that, yes, there may have been some extenuating circumstances, maybe some... Yeah, uh, you know, disagreements with ownership, uh, you know, about, you know, maybe the, the outlook of the franchise moving forward was a little bleak for him. You could say all that, sure. But I think the, the by and large reason for his departure is that, again, he spent three months in that bubble away from his family, um, away from his wife, away from his kids, and his kids are both taking a gap year now to, you know, take time off from college. They're just going to have some family time, right? You know, he's made... Uh, you know, plenty of money in his uh, in his career as the Houston Rockets GM, and he is leaving a lot of money on the table by resigning. You know, that's the thing is he didn't have to resign. He could have done. He could have started tanking the organization and forced himself to get fired or something and get a night. You know, continue to be paid. But he is willingly leaving money on the table, which leads me to truly believe that this was his decision. He was not forced out. Um, you know, this doesn't have anything to do with the, the, the China situation. However, I will say, slight like tinfoil hat theory, that if the, the China, because China did start airing the NBA Finals, so they did start playing games again on CCTV. So if the Daryl Morey situation has been in the works for a little while, then it's possible that that got relayed back to the league office and the league office was in communication with China about it and basically said, look, Daryl Morey is planning to step down, yada, yada, yada. Maybe they spun the reasoning. Maybe they didn't say he's stepping down because of the free Hong Kong tweet. But either way, it's possible that that's one of the contributing factors to why the finals were actually aired over in China is if this Daryl Morey situation has been in play for a little while, then... It's a distinct possibility. Now, I'm just, again, that's tinfoil hat theory. I have nothing to base that off of. Um, I heard it, you know, on Nate Duncan's podcast, uh, Dunked On. You know, he was discussing it a little bit. So I think that that's an interesting theory. Um, But again, take it with a grain of salt. So let's get to our last voicemail for the show. Um, Let's dive straight into that one. So uh, my name's Jake. I'm in Vancouver right now, and uh, my buddy and I have been talking about Andre Drummond as a potential trade target for the Rockets. We uh, we kind of feel like 
Rebounding's been a big issue for the team, obviously, and uh, Cleveland's not really looking to do much for rebuild right now. So if we offer PG four first round picks, kind of that same package for the Butler, that didn't go through, obviously. Well, we feel like it might be a thing up in the paths, and uh, we can make money work in other ways. So uh, wondering what you were thinking about that. Thanks. Thanks for reaching out, Jake. Appreciate that. Um, now. The situation with the Rockets and their first-round draft picks, remember, so they they leveraged a handful of their first-round draft picks in the Russell Westbrook-Chris Paul trade, so regrettably, they don't have access to that um, that Godfather-style offer that they made uh, you know, at the start of the 2019, or I apologize, the start of the 2018-2019 season for Jimmy Butler. Those draft picks are no longer there. So moving forward, the Rockets do still have uh, two of their first-round draft picks in 2022 and 2023, so they'd be able to move one of those, but they cannot move both of them because of the Steepian rule, which states that you cannot move draft picks in consecutive seasons, which is why the Rockets' draft picks that they did move were all in alternating years, or they, they did pick swaps, essentially. So I do believe that they still have the ability to trade the pick swap, Um and, but they, those are not as lucrative as legitimate first-round draft picks, if only because you don't know what that what the pick is going to be at that point. Um, so there's not again there's 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 more pre, there's protections I guess placed on top of that. But at the at the heart of what you were talking about with Andre Drummond, um, yes, he's a hell of a rebounder. Uh, but I think what you find with Drummond is two things: is one is accruing the salary to be able to trade for him would be difficult. Um, I did a trade target Tuesday episode with uh, one of the one of the Clutch City Control Room contributors and uh, well known around Rockets Twitter parts, uh, Karthik Prasad at Stanford KP on Twitter, and we spoke about the ability for the Rockets to potentially aggregate enough salary to then buy into a larger salary player like a potentially like an Al Horford type and then leveraging that contract into another bigger contract because again when you're trading contracts around in the NBA as far as trades go you can bring back in up to 100 125% salary so the rockets are able to generate about 20 uh I think it was almost 25 million in outgoing salary but that's only if they re-sign Austin Rivers and they essentially execute a sign and trade with Austin Rivers to somewhere, to a, to another team. Um, but without Austin Rivers, without him re-upping his contract if he leaves in free agency, really the only way the Rockets can aggregate enough salary is by packaging Eric Gordon, uh, Daniel House Jr., and then pretty much P.J. Tucker. That would be the only way to aggregate enough salary to be able to get Andre Drummond. And I think if you're looking at a package at that point of giving up you know, three starting caliber guys for one Andre Drummond. Yes, he fixes the need of rebounding, but I think the biggest need for the Rockets isn't necessarily a true uh, rebounding presence, but ma- but more so a legitimate boxing out presence because James Harden and Russell Westbrook are phenomenal rebounding guards and the Rockets spent the better part of half the past season having to rebound by committee. Robert Covington can hold his own on the boards. We know how good P.J. Tucker is. So if they just bring in a five who, again, doesn't necessarily have to put up monstrous rebounding numbers, but is a monster at boxing other players out, basically a Steven Adams type, somebody who can just prevent players like Brooke Lopez, like Dwight Howard, like AD, JaVale, whoever, from going over the top of these smaller Rockets, um, 
getting a big body to throw on them, again, that person doesn't have to average double-digit rebounds for them to make an impact. They just have to be able to box out the opposing team's biggest player. That way, the good rebounders on the Rockets don't just get outclassed because of height, because that's the biggest issue. But, uh, you know, if I if I were given the option to trade for Andre Drummond, I'd have to... Uh, uh, I'd happily pass on that. I don't think he answers enough of the uh, questions surrounding this Rockets franchise. Um, but it's a good it's it's a good place to have your mind. The Rockets do struggle with rebounding, so you know where do you look? You look at the guy who's the top, who's the NBA's leading rebounder, and Andre Drummond. It makes sense. Um, but I would probably pass on Drummond and look at a guy who can uh, still fit the mold of what they want to do, somebody who can space it out to the three-point line, but has a big enough body, you know, a 6'10", 6'11 frame to be able to throw against, you know, opposing bigs from other teams. So I appreciate the the call-ins always. If you're interested in calling in, if you want your message played back on the show, if you want to bring up a topic of a discussion, do it 713-487-5457. Listen to every single one of those. But for today's episode, that's going to be where we wrap things up. So as always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.